Good morning to everyone, and welcome to all our visitors here. It's good to see you all here. So for a devotional this morning, before we begin uh, with the main message, uh, I'd like to share an encouragement on the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Um, it's a subject that I'm sure we've heard a lot before, but uh, and it's one I've spoken on before too, but it's also one that I felt in, uh, in times like these, it's good to be reminded of. <clears throat> so before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, we are uh, thankful for your presence here. As you promised, you would, you would meet with us when two or three are gathered in your name. And uh, we do pray that your spirit would be here and you would, uh, you would touch each heart with your word today. We pray and thank you for your presence here and that you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the text I want to look at this morning is uh, Romans 8. Romans 8. I'd like to start at uh, Romans 8 verse 18 and go down to 28. 18 to 28. Uh, we're going to focus mostly on the last verse, verse 28, but I think it's good for us to um, read this context here before we get into it. So I'm going to read the text, and then I have four points uh, that we can take away from this encouragement from Paul. So Romans 8, 18 is where I'd like to start. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. <clears throat> so I'm going to stop there. So Paul is uh, he's talking here about everything in creation and how it's suffering and groaning because of what he calls its bondage to corruption. And uh, that's pretty apparent in the world around us. And he's talking about how it longs to be free, how the creation longs to be free, and how we too wait in hope for the redemption of our bodies. And then he says this, verse 28, And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, like I said, I have four points um, prepared here to, to take out of this passage. The first point I want to focus on is this. Sure and continuous knowing of God's goodness is the basis of hope in times of trial. Let me repeat that. Sure and continuous knowing of God's goodness is the basis of hope in times of trial. Paul starts out with this verse. In, uh, he starts out with the words, And we know. Meaning, this is something that we're all aware of. It's something we all believe and we're fully convinced. He's writing to the Christians in Rome and he says, This is common knowledge. We know. And this confidence... In the goodness of God is why Paul can so confidently say just a few verses before in verse 18 that he's sure that the sufferings of right now are not even to be compared with the glory that God is preparing for us. It's this confidence in the goodness of God that makes us wait with patience for the adoption. So do we know and are we fully convinced of this truth in every situation even the ones that are seemingly unfavorable to us at the time. As we go on here, I hope that we'll begin to see that it's a continuous knowing of this truth in our everyday life that will bring us to true faith and resting in Christ in in His love. A continuous living in that fact. It has to be a truth that we're convinced of through this as God's Word, and through the lives of those who live before us and prove this. When I thought of people in the Bible whose lives um, this fact was evident, I I immediately thought of Joseph. And we've been uh, um, studying a little bit of Joseph in the morning meetings. Um, No matter what he went through, being sold into slavery by his brothers, being put in prison wrongfully, being forgotten in prison by Pharaoh's butler, it seemed he was always fully convinced of God's working it out for good in his heart. He knew that that's what's going on. I believe that this knowing and confidence is the basis of his hope when he was suffering and in times of trial. This confidence that God is good and it's that that was the basis of his hope in those times. What else is it that makes men like Job When he was tested, we know Job was tested to the breaking point, um, losing everything. And what makes people like Job say, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him? Did you catch that? Yet I will hope in him. Even uh, What's the basis of that hope? How can he say that even if God lets him die, he's going to hope in him? It's an assured confidence in the goodness of God, no matter what the circumstance looks like. If that is the basis of our hope, we can have the same result of faithfulness in our times of testing. Second point I have here is, uh, nothing is wasted, coincidental, or without purpose in our pursuit of God. Nothing is wasted, coincidental, or without purpose in our pursuit of God. Paul says here, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. 
But when we really think about it, there's probably something in us going, wait, 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 all things. Um, after all, that means everything, every situation. Our struggles with brotherhood, uh, that brother or sister you're having difficulty getting along with, struggles in unity in the body, struggles in sickness, struggles in addictions. You can make it as practical as you like, but the point is, yes, God works even in our most broken condition. He works that together for our good. And we often have difficulty believing this, especially when we're right in the midst of that trial. But if we're going to be trusting the Word of God, it really must be all things, whether the working together for good is evident at that time or not. I'm sure what happened in Elmendorf this week is still pretty fresh in our minds. It's a terrible situation. Is it, is it really all things? The trials that the Samuel and Rachel family here are going through and that we're praying through, is it really all things? And, and yes, in the midst of these trials, we groan inwardly, as Paul says, with all creation for the redemption and the restoration of all things. That's our longing, but until then... There is a hope that nothing is wasted, coincidental, or without purpose in our pursuit of God. And the basis of that hope is our confidence in the goodness of God in all things, no matter what the circumstance. Confidence, God is good, no matter what it looks like. My third point to take out of this is good from God's perspective, may differ from our own. Good from God's perspective may differ from our own. Seems like an obvious point, but uh, our interpretation of good often ends up being pretty shallow. Um, We often don't look beyond the present to see the goodness that may come or the goodness that already has come from a certain scenario. But even in the times when we do, our knowledge of the results of that situation that we had to face is incredibly shallow compared to God's. Even when we look back and we don't see anything, we don't see anything good that came from it. Who's to say that our understanding of that scenario is not extremely shallow compared to the picture that God sees of that situation? And there are some situations, of course, in which we might see God's goodness right away. And there are certainly others... um, there certainly are others that we have to come to terms with the fact that we may simply never understand till eternity. Uh, to try and give a better grasp of this, I'd like to um, try to put this working together for good into three categories. Uh, these are certainly not comprehensive, um, but I believe it's a good starting point to help us think outside of these boxes of good and these definitions of good that we have often locked ourselves into. Um, So the three I want to look at is temporal good, spiritual good, and eternal good. And like I said, they're far from comprehensive, but it is a helpful way to look at it, I feel. The first one, temporal good. This is the physical good here and now. This is the good that we, in our short-sightedness, often expect and esteem the most. And it's it's only natural as this is the one that requires no faith. It's very evident 
right here, right now. And to be sure, God does bless his people with many physical blessings right here in this life. Um, We see that especially in the lives of people like Abraham and Job. But we definitely couldn't say that all things work together for our physical or temporal good. In fact, if we take Job as an example, often the very first thing that God will take out of our lives to try to grow our faith and trust in him is this physical or temporal good. He'll take that out to try and to prove children. Often that's the very first thing that he takes out. Um, so that cannot be the only good that God is that God is, uh, is talking about here when he says all things work together for good. So the second one is spiritual good. And this is where faith begins to play a role. Spiritual good is the work of God conforming us to his likeness. I'm sure that most of us can look back at a year or two years or three years and easily point to things that God asked you to give up or trials and other circumstances that came up in your life where now you can say God was at work there or wow, that really was for the best. I I didn't like that in the moment, but wow, okay, I see what he was doing there. Uh, It's wonderful and it's very strengthening actually to our to our trusting God when we can do that, when we can look back and see that. But I found that the challenge is to recognize that work of God in the moment that that circumstance happens. That's where true faithfulness to God comes in. Oswald Chambers describes, uh, describes this faith like this. He says, uh, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Deliberate confidence in the character of God, whose ways you may not understand at the time. That's, that's faith. That's being faithful even when you know, even when at that moment you don't know and you don't understand what's going on. Faith is confidence that our God is good. Our God will take care of us and he is doing this for our good. Um, faithfulness is being loyal to God no matter the circumstances that we're facing trusting that as the good father that he is whatever he's putting us through it truly is his goodness and mercy to us it's him in some way that we may not understand presently but it's him conforming us into his likeness Um, so that's spiritual good Um, it's one way of looking at that and it's um, yeah, the third category is eternal good. And this one, this one can be uh, hard, to, hard for us to swallow. I guess I'll put it that way. The things that happen that just make no sense. We see no reason why God would allow something like it. It's the things where we not always but often still can't see God's purposes even years and years later. You just don't see it. You still don't see why. This is the good where we need this patient hope that Paul is talking about. We need this hope of Job that says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. A hope that is based in the confidence that our God is good. And as in the lives of the saints before us, this hope and trust in God's eternal plan at such times is the biggest testimony to the world around us. In a time like that, where we have no understanding, to say, 
we know our God is good, no matter what we see here and now. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. <clears throat> so my fourth and final point to consider from this passage is this. Obedience to Christ is a prerequisite to claiming this promise of God. Obedience to Christ is a prerequisite. It's required before you can claim this promise from God. This verse that we've gone over is a wonderful promise of God. All things working together for our good. But to whom is this promise given? If we read the last part of verse 28, Paul gives two characteristics of the people to whom this promise is given. They love God and they're called according to his purpose. So how do, we, how do we love God? How do we know if we love God? Uh, needless to say, there's, there's an entire sermon that could be preached on those two questions. But a simple answer is in 1 John 5, 3. It's a verse that I'm sure we all know. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. The other characteristic, they are called according to His purpose. I have a different version here that says, Those Excuse me. Those whom with deliberate purpose he has called. A people that are called out with a deliberate purpose who keep his commandments and those commandments are not burdensome to them. That's to whom this promise is given. And if we claim to love God, a life of obedience to Christ has to be our trademark as Christians. And it is those who truly love God in this way that can live in this confident Enduring hope in the goodness of God. This promise is for those who are obedient and through that obedience show their love to God. So I hope uh, this will spur our confidence, our confidence in saying God is good. He is always good and his mercy is new every morning. I know as I was studying this, um, it was encouragement to me. So I just want to close this with uh, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen.